0: Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, we continue, of course, our study of the gospel of Luke. And we're seeing Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Son of God who is the Savior, the Sacrifice, and the Substitute, for the sins of the world. Now what, we do, what we're doing is we're seeing the ministry of Christ. He's in the northern part of Israel. He's around the Sea of Galilee and his headquarters are in a city or a town called Capernaum. Now most of the time Jesus stays in the northern part of Israel. Sometimes for some feast days or some other special things he will go down to the south to Jerusalem, that area, but then he usually stays in the northern part. As we continue, we're seeing Jesus is very active in ministry. He has just finished what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He did a great time of teaching. And as we move into chapter 7, we're going to see a great Time of action. We're going to see ministry. He is demonstrating who He is, that He indeed is the Son of God, the Savior, and the Messiah of Israel. This morning, chapter 7 is the first. uh, We're going to see the first of four key events. I'm going to get an outline up in just a minute or two, but we're going to see that there are four big events in chapter 7. It's kind of long, it's 50 verses, and we're going to see how this fits together. We get a good look at our Savior, we see His authority. I mean, that's the thing. He shows who he is. The authority is the Son of God, is the King, is is all of these things, and we'll see it. There's so much we can take from this. We're going to meet a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. And here's the question. What does this soldier think about Jesus? There's some powerful things there. We'll see it as we go through the passage. Well, you know, one of the great truths that we really need to understand from God's Word is that we do not deserve salvation. We do not deserve salvation. God in His grace to us gives us salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ. We know we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. There's none righteous. No, not one. We're all like sheep have gone astray, each one their own, our own way. There's not one thing we could ever do to merit or to earn our salvation. We come to God in humility. And unworthiness to our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We realize Jesus died on the cross, paid for our sins, was buried and rose again. That He is the Savior and that He offers eternal life simply as a gift by faith. We come to God not based on our worthiness, but based on faith. It is God who so loved the world He gave his son that whoever would believe, that's the key, believing, would not perish but have eternal life. This morning we're going to see in this passage a man, a Gentile, a Roman soldier, very special man. Jesus even says about him, he says, in in all of Israel he has not found someone with this great faith. Now, you talking about a Roman soldier. We'd say, a Roman soldier? We'll see how it fits together. We'd see that this Roman soldier sees Jesus as the one with all authority, and he recognizes that he has to come in humility. And here's a question. How do we come to God for salvation? We come in humility, recognizing that our unworthiness, that we come simply by faith in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again and gives us eternal life. He has the authority to to save us. We'll see this as we interact with this passage, as we see this Gentile, this, this Roman soldier as he interacts with Jesus. And it's going to be a little bit strange because truth is, if you look at the passage, Jesus never sees the man and the man never sees Jesus. We'll see how it fits together as we study the past. It's just pretty powerful. Let's remember where we are. Jesus just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Great teaching. Taught them how to live. How to live as those who belong to Jesus Christ. He taught both believers and unbelievers, Jews and Gentiles. It was a huge crowd. In fact, it talked about this great throng of people that were there from all over. We saw the very end last week, the last section in which He said, if you're going to build your life, you have to build your life on the rock. He said, he said if you listen to my word and obey me, which is to believe in Him, He says, you're like a person you built a house, and you got a big foundation, which is a rock, and everything's fine no matter what happens. He said, but if you don't, if you reject me and you don't believe in me, you're like the guy who built the house with no foundation, and when the flood comes, it tears everything up. And so we saw that, in the ends that he leaves... And comes down off that mountain and he goes into Capernaum. We'll see that. What we're seeing in this passage, uh, we saw in Luke 6 and 7 as we put them together, Luke chapter 6, we saw Jesus and his words. That was the Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 7, we see Jesus and his actions. There are four big events that we're going to see. In You could say four events, four key events. And the first one deals with authority. In fact, all of them are going to come under the authority of Jesus, but this one deals with his authority to heal. And I think our goal as we study the Bible is to To know Him is to know what Christ is like. To know Him and to become like Him because He is our Savior and He is our Messiah. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to see these four events. Let me give you the four areas that he's going to talk about. And he's going to talk about authority. Then He's going to talk about the second one's compassion. The third one is confirming. I'm seeing that in the last one is rebuking. Four things. And let me remind you this authority. All authority in, in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. We're going to see that his compassion. We're going to see his love and his grace confirming. We're going to see how that fits together because it deals with John the Baptist and then his rebuking. And we're going to see he deals with this man. And, 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 and I'll give you more details in just a second but he goes to a Pharisee's home and he has to rebuke him let me break down the passage for you to show you this stuff first of all in chapter 7 verses 1 through 10 we see his authority to heal and we talk about a centurion and his slave. And the, the, the idea there is his authority over disease. Then in verses 11 through 17, we see his compassion because this widow's son has died. And he comes into a city. And as he's coming into the gate of the city, they're coming out to go bury this man. And here's his mama. And she's a widow. And she's weeping. And there's the son. And he's dead. And Jesus stops, stops him and shows his authority over death. By his compassion. And then the third thing we'll see is in verses 18 through 35, I call it confirming because we see Jesus dealing with doubt. Because John the Baptist, who's now in prison, who who is the one that pointed out Jesus as Messiah, is confused. And how he sends a message by two other guys and says, are you the one to come or should we look for somebody else? Now, we might think Jesus would go, what an idiot. He knows I'm the right one. But that's not what Jesus does, and we'll see. He confirms. And then the last one is verses 36 through 50, the rebuking. I call it disgust, and I'll, I'll tell you why in just a second, because we, we see love and disgust all together because of this Pharisee. Jesus comes into this Pharisee's house, and while Jesus is there, this woman who is a has a bad reputation, she's done wrong things, she comes in there, she loves Jesus, she kisses his feet, she cries, she pours some oil on his feet. And the man over there, the Pharisee, goes like this. He goes, if he really was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman that was. He's got great disgust for this woman. Jesus has love for this woman. Aren't you glad that when God looks down at us, he didn't go, what a bunch of... You know, he doesn't. He says, I love you more than you can imagine. That's what he does. Well, that's going to be the passage. We'll see it. will take us several weeks to go through it. Overall, it's authority. Authority over disease and death and doubt and all of those things. We realize there's a lot in these events. Let me just be honest. We're just going to touch the surface of this as we go through it. There's so much here. As you do your own study, of course, and you study through chapter 7 and chapter 8, as you do your own study, you may can go into more detail and, and see some things. Well, let's start with the very first one right here. Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10. We're going to see his authority over disease, and he deals with a centurion, a Roman soldier soldier. As we look at this passage, we're going to meet several people. Now, some we already know. Let me give you the first one. The first one is Jesus. We already know him. We've seen him all the way through the book. He is the Savior. He's the Son of God. He is showing who he is. He's showing that he's come to deal with the sins of mankind. He's come to give his life as a ransom. He has come to be the substitute and the sacrifice for our sins. So what we're seeing in this passage, he's showing the people who he is. The next one we're going to meet is a slave. Now, the truth is we never even get to see the slave. We just know about the slave. He belongs to a Roman soldier, and he's about to die. And we're going to see what happens there. The third one, third thing, we're going to meet some elders and friends. We actually see who these people are. They are sent by the centurion. They come to Jesus and ask him to help. And then last but not least, the centurion. And the truth is, we never meet him as well. We never see him. Jesus never sees him. He never sees Jesus. And we'll talk about how it all fits together. Because he believes that Jesus can heal his life. He believes that. We can learn a lot from this passage as we look at it let me raise some things for you to think about okay first one is authority where did here's a question to think about where did the roman soldier get his authority with that question here's the second question where does jesus get his authority okay second thing we're going to talk about is healing We're going to see how does Jesus heal this slave? Now, we've been watching Jesus through the book, and we've seen that sometimes people would line up and he would touch them. Sometimes he would just say something. Sometimes he would say, just go back and it will be done. We see that he heals in a lot of different ways. How does he heal the slave this morning as you look at the passage? The third thing is the word worthiness. Because these religious leaders, these elders, come to Jesus and say, this centurion is worthy for Jesus to come do this. And so the question I want to raise is, was the centurion worthy for Jesus to come? And let me ask you this question. Are you worthy for, to approach the living God? Are you worthy? The fourth thing has to do with faith. Because Jesus declares that this centurion has great faith. What did he mean by that? How does that fit? Well, let's begin. We're going to see the key to this section is the authority of Jesus to heal. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. When he completed all this, when he completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. Now, remember, it it literally says when he had finished all his words. He has been on the side of that mountain. He's been talking to this huge crowd of people. He's been teaching them all these different things. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He's finished. He's about to leave. It said when he completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people. There were many people there. There were both Jews and Gentiles. There were believers and unbelievers. He's taught so many different things. It says he went to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, as you remember, was a city that he spent most of his time. That was his headquarters. He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. But he went over to Capernaum, which was a, which was a town right on the Sea of Galilee. It was a shipping village, a, a fishing village, and people would just fish and everything there. And so he, that's the town that becomes his headquarters. And so he spends most of his time there. Realize that the ministry, as I call it, is beginning to heat up. And what I mean by that is, as Jesus begins and continues to do the things that he's doing, he's making enemies. We already know that the religious leaders do not like Jesus. They don't want him there. They wish he was dead. In fact, the last time we saw when Jesus was in the synagogue and he healed that man, the man had a bad uh, right hand. It was withered. And he told him to stick it out. And when he stuck it out, it it was a good hand. And everybody was happy except the religious leaders and they were furious and it says that they figured out what can we do with him. We've noticed that through the scriptures they want to kill him. If they could find him doing anything that they think is wrong, they would try to kill him. So they hate him. Because, first of all, when he speaks, he speaks with authority, and they don't speak with authority. So he makes them look bad. Let's just face it, he makes them look bad. So it says that when he completed all this discourse in, in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum, and he started his ministry. People are coming. There are people who are coming, and they're saying, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're believing it. They're trusting in him for salvation. There are other people who are coming, and they'll say, look, I don't even know what to think about this guy, but I tell you what, if you hang around long enough, he'll feed you. He'll feed you because there was a whole bunch of it and they fed us, right? And if you've got somebody that's sick, just take them to Jesus. If you can just get them to Jesus, most of the time, people that come right up to him, he takes care of them. So there were people who were following Jesus, some because they believed in who he was. There were some people who were following him because he would feed them or he would heal them or he would do all these things. So that's what's happening, big crowds and all these things. Well, he goes to Capernaum and notice what happens. Verse 2. And a centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. Well, let's start with the fact of centurion. A centurion is a Roman soldier, highly respected. Out of all the different officers in the Roman army, the ones probably with the most character were the centurions. They led a hundred men, and they were men of character. There were six centurions, or six centuries in a cohort, and ten cohorts in a legion. So a legion had 6,000 soldiers. A centurion led a hundred men. And and they were um, highly respected, even respected by the Jews. Now, not liked. None of the Roman soldiers were liked because the the Romans were in power. It says here that the centurion had a slave who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. Now, highly regarded, the idea there was it was very valued. Now, very important. Now, I want you to understand something. I don't think this passage is saying he had a very valuable piece of property because he's a slave. What we find in the first century, if you may not have realized this, but under the Roman world, over 60% of the people were slaves. And so sometimes slaves, that they were owned by people, but the slave may be the, the steward of the house. And so, oftentimes, some of the slaves were friends with their owners. We've got this centurion who really cares about his slave. And it says he's sick and about to die. So... What's going to happen? This, this guy, is this slave is going to die. He's very valuable. So look what happens. When he heard about Jesus, verse 3, when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And then it says he heard about Jesus. Now here's this centurion, a Roman soldier, and he hears about Jesus. Well, let me ask you a question. What did he hear about Jesus? Well, think about it. First of all, he heard that Jesus was a Jewish man who was a teacher But he was awfully special and most people were thinking that he had come from God and that he healed people and he fed people and he taught people and he claimed that he was God and he claimed that he was the Messiah and the Savior. Religious leaders hated him, but most of the people followed him and liked him. And so here, what could this Roman soldier have heard about Jesus? They they said, hey, this this man Jesus, he can heal your slave. He can do it. Let me have a question for you. What have you heard about Jesus? Do you realize who He is? Now, some of you have grown up in church all your life. Some of you have not. You know, if, if, when I went off to college at age 19, I'd been to church two times in my life, once when I was six and once when I was 12. So I didn't grow up in church. And then maybe some of you in this room, you've come to church, but you say, I don't know that much about Jesus. What have you heard about Jesus? Well, we know He is the Savior. He is the Son of God who came to this earth. He became a human being. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried and rose again. And He offers eternal life, a lifetime eternal relationship for all time with Himself through faith. Jesus Christ died, paid for sins, and said, Whoever believes in Me will not perish, but have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. All of this is based not on our works our goodness, our effort, but on faith. Faith in Jesus Christ who died for us. We trust in Him for eternal life. It is that simple. There are a lot of things people say about Jesus and a lot of things people say about salvation, but the bottom line is this. He died and rose again, paying for our sins. He offers eternal life, and anyone who will trust in Him as Savior will be saved forever. It's that simple. So my question, I know a lot of you in this room, as I look at your faces... I don't know all of you. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? It's not what you do. It's what He has already done. You trust in Him and Him alone for eternal life. He is the one who died and rose again for you, paying for your sins, and offering eternal life as a gift. I hope and pray. That every one of you in this room, if somebody came up to you and said, If you were to die, would you go to heaven? You'd say, Yes. And they say, Why? And you'd say, Because I have believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've trusted in Him for eternal life. And I am saved forever. It said, This man heard about Jesus. When he heard about Jesus, what did he do? Well, I want you to realize he sent two groups. We're going to see, first of all, he sent Jewish elders. And then second, a little bit later on in the passage, he sends some friends Well, let's talk about it. I got three questions I want you to think about. They're not questions from the passage; questions I want you to think about. Number one, or here they are. Number one: Why did he send Jewish elders? The passage says that when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders. Now, I want you to understand. This is a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers don't usually have anything to do with Jewish people, especially Jewish elders. Jewish elders don't usually have anything to do with Roman soldiers. Why in the world would he send Jewish elders to Jesus? second question, why would the Jewish elders help him? Why would they go? They don't like him. They don't like Romans. The Romans have subjected them. They don't even like the Romans. and, And so why would they go? And then the third question is, why didn't he go himself? Why didn't he go to Jesus and say, I'm a Roman soldier, I need your help? Why? So those three questions. Why did he send Jewish elders? Why did the Jewish elders even go? And why didn't he go himself? Well, here's the first question is, why, did, why the Jewish elders? Notice what it says. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. Well, who are these elders? I want you to understand that usually Romans... They were despised by the Jews, and the Jews were despised by the Romans, and usually Jewish elders wouldn't even talk to a Roman, and a Roman wouldn't even talk to them unless he gave them some kind of order. In a local town, in in usually towns and villages, there were men called the elders. They were the mature men, Jewish men, who were raised up to be the leaders of the town. In the old days, they would sit at the gate of the city and and handle business. But probably at this time, they they live in the town, and they're considered to be the leaders of the community. He, These are Jewish elders, and, and this man sends them, he says, asking them. He said, he, when they heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and to save the life of his slave. Why would he send them? Well, first of all, passage doesn't tell us, so we're having to speculate. Could it be that this Roman soldier said, Oh, Jesus is a Jewish teacher, and he's doing all these things, but he wouldn't listen to me. I'm a Roman Maybe if I sent some Jewish leaders, maybe if I sent some Jewish elders, they would listen. So he went to some Jewish elders and said, do me a favor. I want you to go. I want you to talk to Jesus for me. Maybe that's what he thought. We don't know. It doesn't really tell us. But it is very unusual that a Roman soldier would have any contact with Jewish elders. He sends Jewish elders to go to Jesus. And look what he says. They came and they wanted him to come and to save the life of the slave. You know, this Roman soldier may have thought Jesus wouldn't come to him or wouldn't help him. You realize that Jesus cares about all people, Jews, Gentiles, every person, and that any human being can come to Jesus at any time about anything. And as I said earlier, if you do not know Jesus Christ is your Savior right where you're sitting right now, you can believe in him for eternal life. Well, he sends these Jewish elders asking him to come. Look what happened, verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him. Now, when when they came to Jesus, it says they earnestly implored that. They begged him. Here's some Jewish elders coming to Jesus saying, We got this Roman soldier back here and he really needs your help. His slave is about to die. Would you, would you please come help him? You remember the second question? Why would they come? Why would they want to help a Roman? Why would they do that? Notice what they say about him in verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him. He's worthy. Now, I've got a question for you. Is any human being worthy for God to do anything for them? Any of us in this room worthy That Jesus Christ would die for us? That we'd say, yeah, look what I've done. You ought to die for me. You ought to give me eternal life. Look at all that I've done. We've done nothing. In fact, all we like sheep have gone astray each one our own way. We're not worthy. There's no human being worthy. No human being worthy to go before God and say, God, because of who I am, I'd like for you to do the following. Now, these Jewish elders say he is worthy. See, God doesn't deal with us on our worthiness because we're unworthy. He deals with us in grace. It's by grace you have been saved. Now, by the way, the word worthy here means to be heavy on the scale. That's what it means in Greek. It means something that's heavy because they're saying, He's heavy, man. He's, he's big. He's, he's worthy. That's what they're saying. Now, why would they do this? Well, here's the answer. He's worthy. Why? Because He loves our nation and He built our synagogue. Look at the next verse He said, he's worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now, this is amazing. He's saying a Roman soldier loves these Jewish people, and he's the one that built their place of worship. Well, think about that. Most Romans didn't love Jewish people. But here is a Roman soldier who loves Jewish people. wonder why. You know, could it have been that as he saw the suffering of the Jewish people, the Romans have taken over, there's all kind of all kind of heartache and sadness and everything happening? Could it be that he looked at them and he thought, you know, these poor people, I mean, they it, it's really tough on them. And 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 could he begin to think about the God of Israel and the people of Israel? And could he have begun to find out about the Messiah? Could he have talked some Jewish people? Could his slave been a Jewish person? We don't know, it doesn't say. Could he have been a Jewish person and, and that slave tell him about the God of Israel? Could this man begin to say, Well let, let me know about the God of Israel? Because see, most most Romans they had got to the point where this the paganism and all the, the false gods and the pantheon which they worshipped and you know all these gods, it was bankrupt. And maybe he said, You know, what I've been believing is junk. You're telling me there's like one God and God has a savior. I mean, it could be they heard this. No telling. But he says he loves the nation. And the second thing is he built the synagogue. Now, in the Greek, it literally says "And he is the one who built the synagogue, not just our synagogue, the synagogue. We find from, the best we can tell from archaeology is that in there was one main synagogue in uh, Capernaum. This was built by this man. He had enough money as a Roman soldier that he put money into building the place that the Jewish people worshipped. Could it have been that, that he was believing about the God of Israel and saying, tell me about this God of Israel. Tell me about this Messiah. Tell me what you're talking about. Could it be that by this time he's heard so much about Jesus that he is beginning to say, maybe maybe Jesus is the Messiah, the one that I've heard about. Who knows? So why would these Jewish elders go? Because they say he loves our people and he built our synagogue. What does this centurion believe about Jesus? We'll see it in just a minute. Well, can you see it? They come up to Jesus, Jewish leaders, and and let me ask you a question. They come up to him and say, we've got this Roman soldier friend. He's a centurion. He has a slave. slave's about to die. Would you mind coming and healing him? Here's the question I have. Did these Jewish elders believe that Jesus could heal him? Doesn't say a thing about it. We don't know. Now, what would Jesus say? Well, it doesn't tell us, but he goes. He's ready to go. Look at the next verse. Now, Jesus started on his way with them. So he's going to go. And it says that when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself any further. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now, Jesus started to go with them. I want you to understand that Jesus is going and he's dealing with both Jews and Gentiles. He cares about everybody. It is God who so loved the world. So it says he's not far from the house. Now, what probably happened is somebody came running in and said to the centurion, he's almost here. He's right over there. And the centurion then did something else. He sent a second group, a second group, and that was his friends. And here's the question. Notice the second group. It says, he sent when they were not far from the house, his centurion sent friends and said to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself any further. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. I want to do two parts here. One is he said, don't trouble yourself any further. What does that mean? Does that mean he sent word to him and said, uh, just stop, don't worry about coming. Uh, he says, he's not worthy for you to come into the house. So... We'll just let the slave die. Is that what he meant? Don't bother yourself anymore. Don't come. Don't worry about it. No, we're going to find out that's not what he meant. Here's the second thing, though, that's incredible. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself any further. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. There's the third question. Why didn't he go himself? Why didn't he go himself? He said, I'm not worthy. I think we've got... He said, I'm not worthy for you to even come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. He said, I didn't go because I'm not even worthy to talk to Jesus. I'm not even worthy to look at Him. Notice the contrast between the religious leaders. They told Jesus He was worthy. He sends word, I'm not worthy. Now, I want you to understand something. This is humility from a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier who is a great leader, who controls a hundred men, is saying to a poor Jewish teacher, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. I want you to understand something. That Roman soldier didn't see Jesus as a poor Jewish teacher. I think he saw Jesus as the Messiah. He said, I'm not even worthy for you to even come into my house. Well, why did he stop Jesus? If he can't come into the house, how is his slave going to be healed? Look at the next verse. He says, for this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. He said, I'm not even worthy to come into my house. I'm not even worthy to come see you. So what does he say? He says, For this reason I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but, watch this, just say the word and my servant will be healed. He sends word to Jesus, listen, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. I'm not even worthy for me to even come look at you. But I know who you are. All you have to do is just say it, and my servant will be well. You don't have to come into my house. You don't even have to see me. I don't even have to see you. I'm not even worthy to see you. All you have to do is just say, he's well, and he'll be well. Isn't that true? Any of you In this room, there are people who are sick. There are people who are sick with things that they may not get well from. There are people with other sickness. Do you realize that if Jesus chose to do that, he could heal everyone in this room just like that, this exact moment. If he chose to. When he was on the earth, he didn't choose to heal everybody when he was on the earth. He came not to heal. He came to die on the cross to pay for sins. But he can do anything he wants to. And that soldier said, he doesn't have to come to my house. All he's got to do is just say it and it's done. Can Jesus do anything he can? He can. Now, this man says, I am unworthy. The truth is, every one of us in this room are unworthy to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. We're sinners. We're falling short of God's glory. But in his grace and mercy and love, he loves us. He has saved us in Jesus Christ. We approach him not on our worthiness, but by faith. Now, I want you to see this. The centurion has, he understands Jesus' authority. He said, all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. Look at verse 8. He says, I am a man, now watch, I, for I also am a man placed under authority. The also is the key word. He says, I'm a man under authority, and Jesus, you're a man under authority. Notice what he says. For I'm a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to the slave, do this, and he does it. He's saying this, I'm a man under authority. What does he mean by that? He's under the authority of the Roman government. He's a Roman soldier. If he says to somebody, you go, they have to go because he represents the Roman government. He says to Jesus, I am also like you, a man under authority. He says, Jesus, you're under the authority of God. You've come to this earth. If you say he's well, he'll be well because you represent the living God. That's what he's saying. He may not understand Jesus is God. He may not. I don't know what he believes. We know this, so he believes that all Jesus has to do is say it because Jesus has the authority of God, that Jesus co- has come as God's representative. That's what he knows. And he knows that authority. And he says, look, all you have to do is say it. See, because I'm used to that. I have the authority of the Roman government. And if I tell somebody, go, they have to go because the Roman government says, if he says it, you do it. He says, and you've come from God, Jesus, and you have that power and authority. And if you say it, it's going to be done. Wow. He implies that whatever Jesus said will be done because he's under that authority. The centurion believes that Jesus is from God and has the authority to heal. Now watch Jesus' response, verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even Israel... Have I found such great faith? Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. The word marvel means to be amazed. It means to wonder. It means like, wow, whoa. He turned to the crowd that was following him. You know, wherever Jesus went, there's just people following him. Can you imagine this? Wherever he's going, he's walking over here. There's just crowds following him. Wherever he goes. So he's walking to the house. So he turns and stops, looks back at the people and says, whoa, I want you to know that in all of Israel I've not found such great faith. What a contrast. This Roman Formerly pagan, possibly, soldier, who believes that Jesus is from God and can do anything. And the religious leaders of Israel reject Jesus. What a contrast. What a contrast. He says, I'm not even worthy for Jesus to look at me, but I know all he has to do is say it and it will be done. Let me ask you a question. What do you believe about Jesus? Jesus. Does he have the authority to save you? Is he the son of God? Does he have the authority to give you eternal life? That when you believe in him and he says, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. Does he have the authority to give you eternal life and never perish? If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, as savior, and somebody said to you, you've trusted Christ. Yes. Are you going to heaven? Do you say, I know I am. Why? Because he has the authority to give it to me. He gives it to me. Or do you say, I hope I'm going what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Is He your Savior? Does He have the authority to give you life the moment you believe? The answer is yes. Look what happened. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Now, they went back, and as soon as they got there, the slave was fine. Now, I want you to notice something. It doesn't say when they got back, they found the slave in good had been healed. Cause see what if they went in and they said. What do you think? He said well. Fever left me. I'm a little weak. But I'm feeling pretty good. I, I feel like I'm going to recover. That's not what happened. When they went back it said the slave was in what? Good health. He was probably doing some exercises. Looking good. He said how do you feel? I don't know. I feel great. I feel, I feel good health. I'm just great. See it wasn't like he just got well. It was he's in good health. It's powerful. Now, how did Jesus do it? Did Jesus say, okay, he's well? passage doesn't say anything, does it? passage doesn't say anything. I mean, if Jesus just thought it, it could be done. Jesus could say, heal him Is he's healed. He doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to touch anything. He doesn't have to go there. He doesn't have to do anything. This passage doesn't tell us anything that he did. doesn't tell us anything that he said. But we know when they got back there, the guy is in good health. Jesus has all authority to heal. He has all authority to save. He is the Messiah and the Savior. We are not worthy for Him to even save us, but in His grace... In His love, in His mercy, He saves us by faith. This is a foreshadow of Jesus dealing with the Gentiles. You realize in the first part of the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them, Jesus goes first to the Jewish people. He's announcing Himself as the Messiah. As He gets a little further into it, He deals more with the Gentiles. And then after His death and resurrection, in the Great Commission, He says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is a foreshadow that Jesus is not just a Jewish Savior or the Jewish King. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He's the Savior of the whole world. He's the one who died for every human being and will give eternal life to all who believe in Him. What have we seen? Roman soldiers send elders and friends to Jesus, ask Him to heal his slave. Elders say He's worthy because He loves the Jews and He built the synagogue. Jesus comes, He sends friends and says, Don't even come in, I'm not worthy to even see you. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. But you got authority, I know authority. All you have to do is say it and it will be done. And Jesus says, I have not seen such great faith. And when they got there, he was in good health. Let me give you some applications to think about. The first one is this. Realize that we can approach Jesus Christ simply by faith. It's not our good works. It's not our righteousness. It is faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That's the way that we approach Him. A. We are not worthy. There is not one thing in ourselves. We're sinners. We're not righteous. We know who we are. There's nothing in ourselves that we could do to earn God's salvation. The religious leaders in Israel all thought they were self-righteous. They thought they didn't need Jesus. Every one of us in this room who have trusted in Jesus, you came to a point where you said there's nothing in myself. I have to have my Savior Jesus. He the only one that can save me we are unworthy we need a savior B. realize that jesus christ has all authority he has the authority to heal he has the authority to save he is the son of god he died on the cross he paid for our sin he is the savior of jews and gentiles all people he has the authority to save anyone who will believe in him he has the authority to save that takes us to number three or c we come to God in humility and faith. That's the only way we can approach God. It's humility. In the same way that that Roman soldier said, I'm not even worthy to look at him, for him to even see me. I'm not even worthy for him to come into my house. We could say, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to save me. I'm not worthy for you to be in your presence. But in your grace and mercy, you save me and you let me be with you. We are unworthy. We approach in humility and faith. It is not our works, it is not our worthiness, but it is by faith that we come to the living God. Jesus is the one who has all authority to save all who come to him by faith. So may we come to God by humility and faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that we're not worthy of anything that we do or anything that we do, but Jesus Christ has all authority as Savior to give us eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for all that is here. Lord, we know that we come to you by faith, that we're not worthy. It's not our works or righteousness or goodness, that, that we don't deserve anything. And yet, in your grace and mercy, in all authority that you have as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, the Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Provider, Protector, you are everything. You came, died for us, paid for sin, and you give us eternal life when we come to you in humility and faith recognizing that we're unable to save ourselves and that you are the savior and that we trust in jesus christ and in him alone thank you lord for these crews thank you for this lord use us use us as we spread out this community this week to tell people about the good news of the death and resurrection of jesus christ who has the authority to save all who believe we ask this in jesus name amen